Hello and welcome to The Connection, a new podcast from Connect Global. I'm Javier Mendoza, co-founder and vice president of Connect Global. We're excited to be using this new platform to be more connected with you. The Connection will be broken down into three sections. Founders Corner, which will be an ongoing conversation between the co-founders of Connect Global. Global Neighborhood, which will be a mix of interviews from around the world from our partners and friends. Life Talks, which is a place to hear and connect with our team and to hear the most recent talks that we've given on the gospel, missions, and our place in the Great Commission. I sincerely hope that you will favorite or bookmark our channel and please come back often to hear new conversations, new interviews, and all of the discussions. Let's get to it. Welcome to another segment of The Global Neighborhood here on The Connection by Connect Global. This is Travis Moffat, president and co-founder of Connect Global, and I'm so glad that you are with us today. We have got a real treat. I'm here with Dr. Johnny Moffat. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he uh, He graduated from Christ for the Nations in 1978 and has spent many, many years in prison ministry and worldwide missions. He earned a doctorate of ministry from Vision University in Los Angeles, California in 2000, and then was also awarded an honorary doctorate of humane letters from Logos Graduate School in Jacksonville, Florida, 2006. He founded Worldwide Voice in the Wilderness along with his wife, Betty, 39 years ago. Next year in 2018, they'll be celebrating their 40th anniversary. He authored the book, Delivered. He has ministered in prisons in uh, the United States as well as 27 other nations, uh, focusing in marriage seminars, leadership training, uh, prison ministry training all around the world. The ministry of Worldwide Voice in the Wilderness has received numerous awards, including the Ray Chamberlain Award for Outstanding Service in World Missions from a ministry group called The Fellowship. They earned that in 2011 and three Governor's Awards from Governors of the State of Texas, both from George W. Bush and from Rick Perry. Rick Perry, uh, when he was governor, naming Worldwide Voice in the Wilderness as the best family program in the TDJC. Very impressive. He and Betty have been married for 45 years. Uh, They have three children, uh, Terry, Travis, and Emily, in uh, that age order and three grandchildren, that would be Wade and Noah and Peter, uh, an outstanding minister, an outstanding missionary, an outstanding husband, and an outstanding dad. I can attest to that because this is my dad, my father, Dr. Johnny Moffitt. So, Dad, welcome to this program. Good morning, Travis. It's good to be with you. Man, I thank you so much for taking some time out. I know you keep a pretty busy schedule. Uh, but really appreciate you you taking some time out to spend with us. Always for you, Ben. I'll always be but, uh, there for you. You're kind. You're kind. So, hey, let's jump right into this. So, I uh, really wanted to give our listeners just an idea of where you've come from and, and what you you know have done over the last several years in prison ministry and where you're at now. So, um, early in your life, you grew up in West Texas. You're, right. you're a West Texas boy. Yeah, I was raised in Lubbock, Texas, out on the plains. Okay. And uh, 
Graduated from Lubbock High School in 61. Went immediately at Texas Tech University and immediately got kicked out of Texas Tech University. <laughs> uh, for I wasn't exactly living right in those days. Uh, so I went down. <clears throat> yeah. In those days, if you got kicked out of college, you were moved to number one on the draft list, and I didn't want to get drafted, so I joined yeah. the Air Force. Okay. <clears throat> I spent four years in the Air Force, the last two years in Puerto Rico, okay. where I got worse off than I was before. Came home, what I knew how to, what I learned in Puerto Rico was to drink rum and smoke dope. Okay. And I got back home, and it was a different world on, in West Texas, and uh, uh, so, I uh, ended up worse than I was before I left. I ended up uh, riding Harley Davidsons and actually ended up in a one percenter club, one of the largest in America. Okay. And was an officer in that group and spent the, until um, the seventy in, involved in that. So that was late nineteen sixties. Yeah. You got involved in the in the motorcycle club environment. Yeah, I joined, I joined the Motorcycle Club in 66 Okay, and was there until 69 and uh, began to change out of that. Now, how did that, how did that transition take place? That to me doesn't seem like something you just sort of get out of that easy. So 1969, 1970, you got out of the Motorcycle Club. What, what happened? There? Well, we'll just say there were some uh, bad things went down. Uh, I, I ended up spending a year underground. Uh, didn't want to be seen for um, various reasons. Stayed that way for a year. Came more out. safety reasons. Safety reasons. My own protection. Safety, yeah. came, and then I came uh, back into out of underground, living underground. But I came back um, into society, I guess you want to say, in uh, 1960 and uh, 1970, 1969, Yeah, nineteen seventy and. Uh, <clears throat> Moved back to Lubbock, started living with my dad, and started to business college. Okay. In uh, end of 1960, I'm uh, 70, early 1971. Yeah. Then you had some pretty significant life-changing uh, occurrences happen around that time. What 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 happened there? You're going to to business school. You're living with your dad, but you're you know fresh out of this this yeah, intense culture. It, intense culture. That was pretty well. Uh, pretty well into drugs and alcohol at that time. Uh, there was a young lady at the business college invited me to go to church. I was just trying to score points with her. Yeah. And so I went. And when I went to church, uh, I, I, I found out that there was the people there were, and the minister was uh, speaking to vacuums in my life. And so uh, in 19... Last Sunday night in March 1971, I had a dramatic experience with Christ. Totally changed my life. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What happened that night? Well, that night I was sitting on the back row, and, and uh, the youth pastor was preaching his first sermon there as youth pastor. And the church had just come out of a, a big revival where I think it was something like 1,400 people uh, got saved. 700 of them stayed in the church, something like that. And uh, I mean, the church was excited, fired up, was moving. Back in that day, they, they call that whole time period the Jesus movement. Yeah. And that's where I, where I came in. And so I, I was sitting there on the back row and he preached on the healing of Naaman. And uh, it made sense to me the way he 
said it, you know. He said, he said, God's already done for you all he's going to do if you're not saved. He gave his son to die for you. And uh, like Naaman, the, the prophet said, you can go down to the river and dunk seven times or stay sick, but it's your choice. Yeah. And uh, that made sense to me. It was my turn to do something with what Jesus did for me. Yeah. And uh, when he finished that message, I heard my mother, your grandmother, singing through the skylight. And she'd been dead for... Uh, she'd been in heaven then for three years at that point, uh, almost three years. Wow. But I heard her singing. She was probably the, the uh, only real Christian I knew in my whole lifetime. I grew up in a pretty rough family. Uh, so I heard her singing through that skyline, and all of a sudden I found myself running down the aisle, grabbed the pastor around the neck, and uh, scared him to death. And, uh, he Here said, comes this big yeah, ex-biker yeah, chasing him yeah, down the church. You know? Yeah, I was pretty big and I yeah. had, had hair down my back and beard down my front. Had a pistol in my boot and I just run down and grabbed him, you know, and, and he wow. got a got one of the associate pastors to take this guy off in the other room. So they took me off in another room and he began to minister to me and read scripture. And he gave me my life scripture. He said, Luke 174 is for you. And I said, I don't know what a Luke is. I don't know what you're talking about. And he read to me this verse that says that he would grant unto us that we having been delivered out of the hand of our enemies could serve God without fear. And wow. so that that has become my life ministry is to serve God with no fear anywhere I go. I go into dangerous areas and I've never, uh, never had a problem with any of that and I've just served him all my life, clearly. So that Luke 174 is my life scripture and it's been really good in my life. So. I came away from that experience that night preaching and I hadn't stopped since. Yeah, that's incredible. I, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people's salvation testimony. I have to say yours is one of my favorite. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's such a dramatic story. So we tell that story, all of that story in the, in the book, Delivered. That's where the title came from. Yep. That we would be delivered from the hands of our enemies. And so it's in the second printing of that book is coming out this summer nice that's a great book uh as as he mentioned he's you know you're working on the second printing of that and uh i know we'll have that on our website at gosurfchange.com i know you'll have that on your ministry website at wbaw.com christ for the nations is okay so christ for the nations doing the publishing so if you're listening to this you'll see that coming out over the next several months once the final edits and things like that are done so here you are 1971 Fresh out of you know, essentially gang culture. Yeah. You know, and now saved. So, so what happens next? How does this this transition, this change of life, flesh out for you in the next couple of years? Well, I had a real smart pastor, uh, and and he, my pastor, is uh, all this time. It's Dr. Morris Sheets. He's my spiritual dad, mm -hmm. and he pastored in his career. He's pastored three mega churches. He teaches leadership around the world. But he was pastor of this church there in Lubbock, Trinity Church in Lubbock at the time. And uh, he was young. I, you know, and uh, he didn't know what to do with me and I didn't know what to do with him, but we kind of grew up together. And, and uh, what he did was he um, discipled me. I mean, we went to, we went every morning to the church that first year at like six o'clock in the morning to study the word and he, the Bible. And he was there to teach us and we just, worked for the uh, we worked with a group uh, we rented a house we called it the Christian Bachelor's Quarter CBQ nice there was four of us 
bachelors living in this house and they would bring all the drug addicted kids and guys in trouble and they'd bring them to the house to live with us and we kind of just grew up together. Yeah. And I learned ministry as I learned the Bible. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I just knew I had changed and I wanted everybody else to have that same experience. But every morning we were studying the Word and we studied the Bible for an hour every morning. And then we'd go work, uh, do work for the widows in the church. Um, and the mother, the whole, uh, single moms, wow. and we'd paint their houses or whatever they needed done, we'd do right. that for free. And we did that for a year. And just uh, in that process, I, be, I was just steady growing. And I, my pastor, Pastor Sheet spent a lot of time with me and I spent a lot of time with him. And I, I, I was kind of like Ruth, you know, where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay. Yeah. Uh, so you're texting him whether he liked it or not. What he did, I did. And, and what he didn't do, I didn't do. And that sort of thing. And that's yeah. that's where I learned uh, the Christian life was involvement with him. And over the last 40 years, we've been some through some experiences together. And it's both, yeah. you know, both good and bad on both sides. And sure. it's been a great relationship. But uh, the best thing I could say for my whole spiritual career has been faithfulness to a spiritual, spiritual leader. That has helped me more than anything else. I, I have been there for him through his troubles. He's been there for me during my troubles, and it's just great. And here to this day, it's been 45, 46 years. You guys are still great friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, there was a friend of mine up in uh, uh, Connecticut, or New Hampshire, wrote a book called Like a Son with His Father. Yeah. And uh, it's about spiritual fathers and spiritual sons. And one of those chapters in that book is Pastor Sheets and myself. Wow. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's very successful book and, and uh, so that's a story that people like to tell and yeah. I've taught on spiritual fatherhood and basically just give that testimony. That's awesome. So that's 1971, spent about a year in this home, 1972 you meet somebody. Yeah, January 1st, 1972 uh, at a party at the church there was a staff member leaving and another staff member coming so they had one big party and in walked this a uh, beautiful girl with her little boy, and uh, it's, I just noticed her, and uh, but we made no connection. We made no connection at all. Yeah. And then she started coming to the early morning Bible classes, and then one day I just got up in the morning and says, I want to be with her, and I, and I just walked in and asked her if she wanted to go somewhere, and she said yes. And, but she said, that's it. you know, when she first met me, she didn't like me. <laughs> I don't blame her. I didn't like me much either. But we met that January, and then, then we started dating in February, and then we got married in March, all in 1971. Wow, three months. Yeah, and it, our backgrounds were totally different. Our lifestyle was totally different, and we had everybody said there's no chance, and so and it's that's not the way to do it because we, had, as you know, we had a pretty rough marriage for many years, and yeah. uh, but God is faithful. Yeah. And uh, now uh, everything's good. We've been married 45 years. Maybe we'll make it 46, but we're just going <laughs> one day at a time. So far, so good, right? So far, so good. So far, so good. So uh, you guys were then, so y'all got married 72, March of 72. You're yeah. living there in, in uh, Lubbock, and you got an interesting kind of a job. What were you doing professionally then at that time? Well, I was... Uh, I did a lot of stuff. That right. first year, 
we worked on a cattle ranch. Right. We, we, that house was part of our salary at the cattle ranch. Yeah. The big uh, forest ranches in the Lubbock area, and they had a seven thousand acres in Lubbock, seven thousand acres in Lahana, Colorado, and so we worked between the two, chasing cows and riding horses and just in a living in a little falling down shack on the ranch, you know, and trying to get to know one another, and it was it was pretty rough that first year, and. Uh, uh, one day after a year there, the the uh, foreman, now the owner, came up to me and says, I don't know what it's all about. There's nothing wrong with your work, but God told me to let you go. Hmm. So, that's weird. Wow. And I had to believe him because he was an elder in the church. I figured he could hear God, you know? Yeah. So I found myself there in the middle of December with uh, two or three weeks to get out of my house a couple of weeks before Christmas. Had a $5 bill in my pocket and nowhere to go, you know? Wow. And so I walked down to uh, about a half a mile from the house. There was a tree that, you know, that's pretty close in Lubbock. There's, yeah. not, there's no tree. <laughs> so I walked down there yeah. to the tree on, on the on the farm, on the ranch, and I sat down under this tree. And I was just crying out to God. I was just, basically what I was doing was quoting scripture back to God like he didn't know him. Right, and I, I, the one I was using was for uh, all things work together for good to them that love God and call to His purpose. And I said it over and over and over, and I said it so many times that finally I just said I don't believe it. Yeah, and I just I just hollered out to God. I said, God, that's a bald faced lie. That's just a lie. I'm, I mean, it's not working out for good for me. Yeah, uh, you know, I was in a very bad mental state, emotional state, spiritual state. Right. And I was saying, it's not working out for good. You've just been lying to, lying to me and all this stuff. And God answered me. I mean, mm. it was, it wasn't audible, but it was loud. It was, it went not from my ears to my brain, but from my heart to my brain, loud. And I heard God scream at me. He, he screamed out, fat boy, that is a promise. It is not a pacifier. So quit sucking on it and start chewing on it, and I'll show you something. Mm-hmm. And as I began to do that, I opened my eyes, and right in front of me, I saw a boys' ranch, a home where teenage boys could come and that were in trouble. They could come there and not have to go through what I'd gone through in my life. And I thought, wow, this is something. So I jumped up from the tree and ran back to the house, and I went through the door, and I said, Betty, God has told us to build a boys' ranch. Great, how do we do that? I didn't have a clue. I said, I do not have a clue. And uh, that's the state we were in. Yeah, left God sitting under the tree with the plan. You know, I did, I go. left God under the tree. I took off where he told me what to do. I just, I right. didn't know what to do. Right. But I, went, I knew what to pray. Yeah. Travis, I knew to pray. And one day, uh, shortly after that, maybe in the next couple of days, I was praying and God, I heard this word from God to go see a man there in town who was, this man was from childhood was one of my father's best friends. Okay. And this man had become very wealthy. And matter of fact, he was a the leader. I don't know what they call him, but the head of the Gideons for the state of Texas for a while. Okay. Very spiritual man uh, who had who was a widower. He had lost his wife a couple years before. And I got this word that says, "Go see this man." And so I went over to his house, just knocked on the door, and he said, "Well, Johnny Moffat, come in. I was just thinking about you." I thought, really. That, uh, God's told me to build a boys ranch and I don't have a clue how and we sat there and he told me how sitting wow. there in his living room and so 
we began to take steps. I went to Pastor Sheets. I told him the vision. And he said, well, here's how I can help you. He said, uh, we had, did we, you know, I, I just, I'm still getting close to having to leave my house and having to, don't know where I'm going and all this. And uh, he says to me, let's have a meeting. I said, okay. He said, I'll send out, I'll invite the 30 people, 30 men, businessmen in the city to come to this, the owner of the ranch, the guy that invited me to his house. Yeah. And, uh, and you just tell them your vision. And so I did. I went there that night, told them the vision I'd had about the boys ranch. I didn't know how to build it. I need, need help to do it. Uh, and those of that 30 men there that night, 27 of them, halfway between Christmas and New Year's, that's when the meeting was, just a 10 days notice. Wow. 27 of those men signed up for the board of directors. They elected the board of directors, hired me, and we were off and running to build the, the boys' ranch in Lovell. That's incredible. So over the next year or two, you end up building this boys' yes. ranch that yeah. still exists there to this very oh, day. Oh, it's, it's a great place. Uh, it was uh, an experience. That's where I first began to see miracles. Mm -hmm. I could tell you miracles of finances, how we got the land, the men, uh, we asked everybody in Lubbock County for land. We looked for land all over that county for probably six months. Um, we, we, uh, the board started paying me in a salary. And so that enabled me to do the groundwork. So we moved into a house in town, rental house, and I took off looking for property mainly. And uh, I went to every farmer. I went, I knew who owned every inch land in Lovell County. Yeah. And uh, one day a man called and said to me, he said, I hear you wanna, you're looking for land? I said, yeah. He said, well, I own a lot of land in Lovell County. I said, yes, I know who you are and you, you do. Yeah. <laughs> but probably most of it's vertical, like canyon walls and that sort of stuff. Um, and I, I thought, I can't afford this land. I said, yeah, I know you own some land. He said, well, what would you do with it if I gave it to you, I said, well, what land are you talking about? And what he was talking about was the actual half a section of the ranch that we were working on and uh, that where I lived. Uh, when you were working for they, the cattle ranch? Yeah, they called it the breed farm. This okay. was this was the my boss's father who actually owned all that land. Wow. And we had never asked him for land. Uh, I don't know why, but we didn't. Um, mostly because it was vertical. I was in, in that particular half section of land, 320 acres, was a very valuable land. It's just yeah. five miles northeast of Lubbock. It's uh, you know, it's got a highway on one side, railroad track on the other side. The highest point in Lubbock County is the hill on that property. Right, which is probably. 25 feet above sea level. Oh, oh yeah, it's, bar yeah, it's, it's barely a hump. so flat. But yeah. that's the highest point. Wow. And so he said, if I gave you that property, where would you build your cottages? So I thought, well, he's testing me or something. Yeah. And so I knew where to build them. I built right there under that tree. Yeah. That's where I built And so I told him that, and he said, uh, well, he said, I'll, I'll give you... Um, that property, if you'll build a driveway from the highway to that property, which is half a mile. Yeah. And I said, oh, what is this all about? 
and he's and I thought okay so I went to pray it again and so I went and got a prices from all the people that pavers and asphalt and, and it was very back then it was I think it was sixteen thousand dollars but that's way back in the seventies try to do it today you'd never do it sure and so uh, I just didn't have it. I didn't have $16, let alone $16,000. And here's all this land we could have if we could build a driveway. So I was praying one day and God says, who is the large, the biggest road builder in Lubbock County? And I said, Lubbock County. Yeah. And he, he said, right. So I went to commissioner's court. I just went wow. to commissioner's court. And I, I said, what I want to do is I want to give you an easement half mile easement because we're going to build a boys ranch right here and I know that the county's going to want an easement down there to it so I'm here to give you that easement <laughs> and they thought what I didn't know we want to do that and I said yeah you want to do that because if you don't do that I'm going to tell the newspapers that you guys don't want a boys ranch in this county wait a minute they said that's not what we said but right. it's, it's what God was saying to me yeah and so guess what? A week later, the bulldozers moved in and they not only built a driveway, they built a two lane highway with four ditches and all. It is a county road. They named it after the owner of the ranch and it, they maintained it to this very day, some wow. 30 years later. You know, it's amazing uh, that, you know, God is smart. You yeah. know, he's smart. He knows yeah. how to get things done. Yeah. If we'll listen to him, he'll, Just listen to he'll point us in the right direction. And so now you've got this road built that didn't, cost 16 cents and it didn't go anywhere it just went just down went there to, to, the boys a, to a tree that's paved highway man. county road that's incredible so we started so, building the house so you managed this boys ranch then for a few several years yeah until uh 75 late 75 till 70 75 then there was a transition in in your life from lubbock into dallas and uh, what was going on then so you guys well God began to speak to me about moving on from the mm -hmm. ranch because, uh, like I said, my past was not very uh, not education, and we were dealing with uh, child care. Right. We were dealing with uh, kids from uh, 8 to 14, 16, yeah. uh, with serious problems and issues, and so with the state welfare department and child services and stuff, it became apparent that I was not going to be able to maintain that because the laws were beginning to change drastically in Texas concerning a child care right. or, or homes of that nature. Right. Uh, and so we, we uh, made a decision that we would do something else. Didn't know what. Yeah. But uh, we helped the boys ranch hire a, a replacement for me. Okay. A guy with a degree in, in criminal justice and social work. And uh, he came in as the director and I uh, uh, began to move, make plans to move. So one day, one of the uh, elders or teachers over the church, he's very elderly, 87 years old, and he said, I'm gonna go to Dallas to a place called Christ for the Nations to talk to their director because he and I are leading a trip to Israel. And I need to go spend some time with him, but I don't know how to drive in Dallas. I mean, I'm, I can't get where I can't see, and I'm, would you drive me? 
so mm -hmm. I could have this meeting. And I said, well, sure. So I drove him to Dallas and we went to Christ for the Nations. Uh, and uh, he would been in, went in to meet with the director and I was just walking around campus while they were meeting. Yeah. And a guy walked up to me and said, can I help you? And I told him the story of why I was there. And he said, well, I'm the registrar. He said, let me show you around. <laughs> wow. Well, the next thing I knew, I said, this is where God wants me. Sure. So when I went home, I told Betty that God wanted us to go to Christ for the Nations. And uh, we made that move in January of uh, 76. Awesome. So Christ for the Nations is a two-year school. It's a two-year school. We both were students. We both went to school half a day and worked half, uh, half a day. Okay. And then as you were finishing up school, you're, you're in transition here. You've been running this boys' ranch. Now you're, you're at Bible college and trying to figure out, okay, we, like you said, we know we need to do something different, but what? And what was the door that really opened up for you there at well, Christ for the Nations? It's kind of an interesting story. While I was at boys' ranch, a man in our church uh, had, he was a bank baker, had, had uh, committed bank fraud. Okay. And was arrested and sent to prison up at El Reno, Oklahoma, which is a federal prison. Okay. And uh, his wife came up to me one day at church and said, uh, I've arranged for you to speak at chapel services at the prison in El Reno. And I <laughs> said, do I want to do that? I don't know I wanted to do that. Yeah. And uh, so I thought about it and I said, yeah, okay, I'll go. So I got a hold to a friend of mine who was a guitar player and singer, and I said, you want to go with me up to El Reno? He said, yeah, I guess so. So we went up to El Reno and uh, did the service that Sunday morning. And uh, I just was so moved and so um, impacted by that mm -hmm. service and the response. And, and I thought, man, this is something. Yeah. And we had that service, and it, just, it was on my mind all the time all the time leading up to when we left the boys ranch. So when I got to Christ for the Nations, first day of school, and uh, you'll remember that the first week of school, they had leaders of the student ministries talk each right. morning at chapel. Right. And the first one that spoke was a leader of the prison ministry. Wow. And uh, I sat there and I heard him and I still had that El Reno experience on my mind. So I just got up and went to him and said, uh, you know, my name is Johnny Moffat. I'm a new student here. And uh, I, I went to El Reno and kind of got hooked. And I have experience with Boys Ranch. So I'd like to be part of the prison ministry. And he said, yeah, well, okay. You know, told me the time and we'll see. Sure. So I went there and sure enough, started doing it. So for the next two years, uh, that first year, I was just part of the ministry in the two federal prisons here in Dallas, one in Fort Worth, one in Siegelville. Yeah. And uh, then the second year, I was director of the prison ministry. So I was getting massive experience there with, in the prison ministry. And then at, the, at graduation time in 1978, uh, leading up to graduation, I still didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated. And uh, the school would call me once in a while and say, okay, this church needs a speaker, this church needs a speaker. Because if, if the churches around here were, were minus a pastor, they'd call the school to come out and sure. fill a pulpit. So they'd call me and they'd say, would you go do this pulpit and this pulpit and that pulpit? 
yeah, okay, so, and I'm looking for some place to go, you know, and all these churches are looking for pastors. So I figured right. that's the thing to do. So I went out to a little old town called Quinlan. Quinlan, Texas. Quinlan, Texas, yep. out on Lake Tawakini. Yep. And uh, one Sunday morning, and uh, I, I go in there, and a man met me at the door. It looked like Colonel Sanders. Tall guy with a goatee and a mustache, white hair all over. Hello, how you doing? And then he stopped and he says, you don't even remember, remember me, do you? I said, uh, no. And he said, I'm Nick Vaughn. And I went flashback, flashback. Captain Nick Vaughn was the chief jailer of the Dallas jail, city jail. Years when you had been in the when I was in the, in the club. gang in the club, and I had gotten arrested one time and taken to that same wow. that same basement where where Oswald, Lee Harvey Oswald was killed. Yeah, in that same basement down there, and I'm steady telling them they're not going to lock me in this jail, and they're steadily hitting me upside my head, and they <laughs> put me in an elevator, three jailers and me, and by the time we got up to the floor, I, I, they had stomped me into a, and they opened up the elevator door, and there stood Captain Nick Vaughn, laughing, and he called me by name and said, we got you, and put me in the jail cell, and I thought, man, if I ever get you outside of here, you're going to be hurt, but yeah, there he was, and he had gotten retired, gotten saved, and was an elder in this little church wow. in Quinlan, Texas. Ultimately, he became the mayor of Quinlan. Wow. And I met a lot of friends in that church. And a friend of mine from Christ for the Nations ultimately became the pastor of that church. And how relationships are so important today. He's the vice president of our board. Wow. And that church became the first church to support Voice in the Wilderness on a monthly basis. So how amazing is that, that here you meet Nick Vaughn you know, on two two sides of the fence, you're a gang member, he's a cop, and then now you get to meet him and you're on the same side of the kingdom of God. Yeah, it, cool. it, it gets better because uh, three years later, Nick Vaughn passed away after we'd started Voice in the Wilderness, and that church flew me back from Georgia to preach his funeral. Wow. And I actually preached this funeral, and uh, it was an amazing thing. Wow. So anyway, uh, you're in Texas, but you just mentioned somehow you get to Georgia. Yeah, so I decided I, I'm not too sure I want to be a pastor. I preached at a lot of churches then looking for But I got a call from Cookie Rodriguez. Okay. New Life for Girls, uh, which is kind of like a female David Wilkerson. Okay. And uh, she had the, these homes for girls around the country. And she kind of offered me a job there my last semester uh, going to cities where she's going to have a citywide crusade and doing the advanced work okay. and teaching her uh, directors how to raise funds because I, I had developed some skills of raising funds at the boys ranch and she wanted me to do that so I started doing that and she sent me to a place called Milledgeville Georgia which is uh, before the Civil War it was the state capital of Georgia so the state owns a lot of property there and it had the state mental hospital and a bunch of prisons. I think they had six prisons there. Wow. So she sent me to that city to uh, do advanced work for a citywide crusade. So I stayed there 10, I was there 10 days, 
preached 32 times in 10 days. It was in prisons, state hospitals, churches, high schools, even preached in the uh, superior court room. Wow. I mean, just it was, I just worked me to death and I was so glad to get home. I thought, this, I'll, I, no, I'll never do that again. And a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call from the sponsors of that citywide meeting inviting me to come back on my own. And they sent me a plane ticket, so I flew out there to uh, Milledgeville, Georgia, and they offered me, uh, if I'd come out there and start a prison ministry, they'd support me. Wow. So we came back and prayed, and uh, a man at church who was, I mean, at school, who was in charge of the jail ministry, knocked on my door one day and said, I hear you're moving to Milledgeville, Georgia, and I am too. And I thought, and I didn't even know him. Yeah. It's Dwayne Bristow, and he came in, and boom, we became partners, and we left together in the truck and moved his family and our family, and you were just a little bitty joker then, and my, <laughs> my Emily wasn't even born yet. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Betty was pregnant with Emily. Yeah. So we moved to Milledgeville, Georgia, and there wasn't any cell phones in those days, so between Dallas and Milledgeville, two-day truck ride, those men changed their mind. We got there with no money, truck full of furniture, and no support. Wow. And this one doctor invited us to sleep in his guest room. Mm -hmm. And you and Terry slept on the floor, and Betty and I slept in the bed of a little room uh, while we were trying to figure out what to do. Put our stuff, we stored our stuff, furniture and stuff in a, a garage. And I started going to prisons and saying, can I come here and preach? Can I, what, what can I do? I, get, I tried to learn what I was going to do. Yeah. And I started pouring concrete. Yeah. And uh, I'd go build sidewalks, porches, patios during the during the daytime or, or uh, my own, I had to have my own schedule, my own time. Right. So that I could go to prison. You had poured concrete in the Air Force yeah, years I, I prior, would, so you had some experience doing that's that. That's what I was. I was, a, I was a concrete mason in the Air Force. So you're pouring concrete while you're trying to build this prison ministry. Yeah. And you know, over the years, it just it just grew. It was it was a miracle. I met a I met at a at a meeting of volunteers and chaplains one day. I sat down at a table between two men, an older man and a younger man, and they started talking over my face to each other, and they were father and son. Okay. And the father was a chaplain at Reedsville State Penitentiary where death row was. And the son was the brand new chaplain of a brand new prison in Macon. And chaplain father said to chaplain's son, you gotta hear this tape. I got a tape, I found a tape in the prison library by this guy out in uh, ex-biker from a one percenter club getting saved. And I've been playing that tape and convicts are getting saved all over the prison. And the son said to the father, well, what's his name? And the father says, his name's Johnny Moffitt. <laughs> and, and you're sitting right there sitting in right between there. them. <laughs> and I said, I said, present, that's me. He said, yeah. you are kidding me. And no, wow. that's me. I said, where'd you get that tape? He said, I don't have a clue. Wow. Found in the library. And so they, uh, he just carried it around. And so sure. both of them said, well, when can you come to my prison? When can you come to my prison? And God miraculously opened the whole Georgia system to me that day. Wow. And uh, Harry Barthoff was the dad who passed away actually in that prison, had a heart attack in prison one day and, and went home. But he taught me more about prison ministry than anybody. Wow. And then 
the son is still a very close friend of mine to this very day. And uh, that's I, Chaplain Gene. That's Chaplain Gene. Yeah, yeah. sure, you know Gene well. And he became, we got him the job as chaplain of the Indiana State Prison. And yeah. then when I came to Texas, they were looking for one here, and we got him moved down here as chaplain of the prisons here. And now he's retired, but still my very close friend. Wow. And uh, it, it was miraculous things like that happened. And so the prison ministry began to grow. So that's the prison ministry worldwide voice in the wilderness. Yeah. That next year you and mom will celebrate 40, 40 years, years yep. in full-time prison ministry. Yep. That is amazing. You know, I love I, I love it from now, you know, in launching Connect Global, you know, similar experience, but yeah. looking back on it, I love this part of the story. In the moment, it's it's tough, I know, yeah. where it's like, I'm gonna do this ministry, and then I've gotta pour concrete, you know, as well, or yeah. I've gotta do yeah. this other thing on the side, you know, sometimes launching ministries, you know, on the front side, you think, well, I'm gonna go launch a ministry, and then they're gonna put me on TBN, and then, you know, money's just gonna fall from heaven and pour in and I'll, you know, two years later I'll buy a jet, you know, or that sort of deal. But the reality is, is that when God puts something in your heart, you have to pursue that. Sure. And there's one and, and a shovel and getting the concrete, yeah. you know, a little child labor there. But yeah. uh, Until I, you I, got stung by a bee and then you quit. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Enough of that. But I also remember, you know, years down the road when you didn't have to do that anymore. Right. And uh, there were there were churches and businesses and, and individuals who had come into the ministry, even still to this day, yeah. who financially support the ministry right. to, to help it grow. I hope you've enjoyed the first part of the interview with my father, Dr. Johnny Moffat. Join us again next week for another segment of The Global Neighborhood, and we'll listen to part two You'll learn how God was able to use my father's life, taking a man from a motorcycle club to being an international prison minister and having an impact in the lives of people around the world. You will not want to miss part two of my interview with Dr. Johnny Moffat next Thursday here on the Global Neighborhood segment of The Connection. Thank you so much for following along, for favoriting our channel, and for listening to this segment. Give us a call in if you have any questions or comments. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.